coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. 2023 is our 40th anniversary. So what I'm most excited about or putting out there in 23 is uh, our second edition of our Protect Report. So we publish it every two years. It's backwards looking at the work that we've done with our partners, with our conservation groups on trips like with you. And the reason I say I'm most looking forward to that is we could talk for the next two or three hours about all the work I do. And the nice thing about that, you know, it's 30 page book. It's just a really nice physical piece to say, wow, this is what Costa does. That was Joe Gugino on Costa's Protect Report, Kick Plastic Conservation Stories, and the Bonefish Tarpon Trust today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. A great way to support this podcast is by sharing an episode. If you've been listening for a while and you have an episode you know of uh, that you've loved in the past, click that share button down in your app, uh, likely in the lower bottom. Uh, Click that arrow and share an episode out. Send a text message or email and share the love. Thanks in advance if you had a chance to uh, share one of our past episodes. Today's episode is sponsored by Zag.Fish, who creates ethically sourced premium fly tying materials with their 5D brushes. These are the Fairflies brushes that we've talked about before. Zag.Fish is the place you can go to pick up Fairflies products and the other stuff they have going on in the fly tying uh, niche. 5D brushes contain the perfect proportions to tie great streamer, bass flies, saltwater flies, and we're gonna be using some of these flies even more as we do some of these saltwater trips. You can check out uh, zag.fish right now by heading over to wetflyswing.com slash zag. That's Z-A-G. Today's episode is sponsored by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory, Idaho's most renowned zone for fly fishing. From the Henry's Fork to the South Fork of the Snake and all the high alpine lakes and streams in between, Yellowstone Teton Territory provides anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts with all the information they need to plan their next big trip. You can visit wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now to get the full list of outfitters, lodges, fly shops, and all kinds of inspiration to get you started on your next trip to Eastern Idaho. That's Teton, T-E-T-O-N, wetflyswing.com slash Teton. Joe Gugino takes us into Costa Del Mar and the conservation work they've been focusing on to protect the species we love. We find out where Joe's passion for uh, striped bass comes from, what the Saltwater Guide Association has going on right now, and how Planet Purpose Solutions is helping Costa fulfill their vision in conservation. Taking the glare off the water and off of some of the big conservation issues today. So without further ado, here we go. Joe Gugino from CostaDelMar.com. How's it going, Joe? Hey, how are you, dude? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, putting some time uh, aside to come on and chat about some of uh, what you have going with Costa and some of the conservation uh, programs. We've done at least one. I mean, we've talked a lot about Costa because we've been doing a couple of trips this year, and you guys have been doing a great job of helping us promote some of these events, which always has a good conservation. You know, we're always focusing on a good local group, and I know you guys do the same. So we're going to talk about that today. But before we get there, I know you do some fishing with uh, stripers and stuff like that. So talk about how you first got into fly fishing, then we'll get into Costa. Awesome. Uh, great question. So uh, I'm the oldest of three brothers, grew up fishing in Connecticut. That's where I'm from. A little bit away from the water. So, you know, grew up fishing for largemouth bass and sunnies with my brothers and everything. And one day we met our like kind of fourth adopted brother, Brian. So me, Chris, Tony grew up fishing and Brian always talked about fly fishing and at the time was interested in it, but it seemed a little bit I don't know too heavy or too much to get involved he's super particular really detail oriented and just like he's good at everything he does so i was like ah oh, fly fishing is probably pretty hard but brian's good at everything so maybe i'll try it later um and the first thing time i think i went fly fishing was with brian but not you know thinking like trout or something easier i started on the salt water with striped bass hmm. and uh that's kind of stayed with me and that's my number one species now i live on the ocean here in boston harbor in winter massachusetts and every you know Every at least every day, every other day in the season when I'm home and I'm not traveling, I'm going out for stripers, preferably on the fly, right on my boat, which is two minutes from my house here in the harbor. Nice. And when is that time? When do you get fired up for stripers? So as I grew up in Connecticut, so the fish get there in April. So sometimes we make a couple trips down there, beginning of the season as fish are migrating up either out of the Hudson or from the Chesapeake. 
and they get to us here on the North Shore, usually that first week of May, really that second week of May, you can kind of almost guarantee you'll be into them. Um, and so May and June, June's a great month when the big fish show up and they're here through this year, they're here, here almost through uh, October and even a little later, which is awesome. Oh, wow. So as we're talking here, we're getting into the holidays. They're kind of that run is pretty much over. There's not a lot going on now. Yeah, not in the harbor. Um, I keep my boat in longer than most because I do stripers mostly in the fly, but then also, you know, I love to run for tuna, uh, get almost 30 foot boats. So hmm. to be able to run that all the way in, you know, flats, it's not the best inshore rocks, but yeah. not always doing super flats or stripers. So I keep it in usually that second week in November, yeah, uh, third week in November, because I grew up in Connecticut, but my family's all from Buffalo. So huge Bills fan there. And so I go to Steelhead with Brian and our friends. So sometimes get a couple Steelhead trips in before the end of the year there. Oh, there you go. Nice. That's so cool. Well, yeah, and this brings up a lot of questions for me. I mean, the stripers is one thing we've done a few episodes. We've had some on the West Coast, some on the East Coast. But, um, you know, on the East Coast, we have talked a little bit about, haven't dug into the conservation stuff there. But do you know the history? I mean, stripers have kind of gone up and down over the years. Can you talk just briefly about that? And then maybe if you guys are doing anything with Costa on that end? For sure. No, great question. So, yeah, as you mentioned, stripers have kind of had a perilous History, you know, before my time as I really got into striper fishing. So striper fishing for me, I graduated college 09 and was really falling in love with like 10, 11. So that was like a pretty good run. Like, and then over the past 10 years, it's gone down again. But in the early 80s, 90s was when the moratorium was and they started to come back then. And so now we're trying to make sure we fight so we don't get back to that again. So it was just like a commercial, they went down because of like just too much fishing. Just too much pressure. And so that's the hard thing as you look at the fight. It's been interesting and, you know, learning and watching over the past 10, 15 years or so, the fight, so to speak, is a lot of it becomes commercial versus recreational, which to be honest, isn't the most effective. It's one resource, right? The fish are there and who can use it. And so Costa, yes, what we do, we worked with American Saltwater Guide Association. Have you ever worked with them or heard about them? Yeah, we've heard about them. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. So they've been on the forefront, being really grassroots in it, learning what the anglers are doing, both recreational, but really do a good job not alienating the commercial fishery as well. I mean, as I said, it's one resource and really looking at it's like, we need to all find a way to preserve it and find a way to, you know, recreational anglers, even though most are catch and release, there's still a mortality, what that percentage is. We're not sure. I mean, there's, you know, 9% is the number thrown out, but I mean, if you're catching release some fish, they're not all going to live. You can take a lot of steps to make sure, you know, barbless hooks, single hooks on the fly, keep them in the water, make sure you don't keep them on deck, which are super important, but that's going to happen sometimes. So everyone's going to take their share and responsibility of protecting the fish. And if we want to, you know, we want to catch them, if we want our kids to catch them, we got to make sure that stock is able to rebuild every year. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty clear what's going on there. So if you decrease the impacts, the taking of fish, then that stock, I mean, there's not something else going on with climate change or something else bigger that's affecting, uh, you know, more broadly. I mean, I think you have that as well, right? So like you can say like, yeah, if we stop impacting the fish will be fine. But then you look at, you know, in the Chesapeake or in the Hudson or in the rivers where these fish are spawning, if you don't protect those, or if you don't look at, as you said, climate change or fertilizer or pressure there, it's really the whole 360 picture, um, which is hard, right? Because everything you do impacts them. So it's overwhelming if you think about it sometimes, but as an angler, you know, you can take your impacts and then you can also try to influence your community, whether that's your fly fishing friends, your sport fishing friends, your charter boats. And there's, you know, the nice thing about social media these days, you can take a picture and release the fish. You don't have to, you know, kill it and bring it back to the dock to say, I caught a huge fish. Yeah, exactly. Or even take it out of the water in some situations, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can get a one, you know, it's always nice to get that picture, but if you've caught a bunch, you can just release it right in the water and let it go back and catch the next one. That's right. Nice. And for Costa, how do you choose? Because, well, let's describe before we get into some of the programs, like your position, describe that, and then what you do with Costa. Um, So currently at Costa, I'm our Conservation and Community Partnerships Manager, which is a really unique title. And it's on purpose, the way it kind of fits. Costa has always been about the community model. And that means we're focused on the anglers, focused on the partners in the community, focus on the cause partners in the community, what media partners, just how we're impacting the different, you know, in Costa and our history was all about fisheries. So we looked at fly fishing as a community, even though there's many different communities within that, bass fishing, offshore fishing, and inshore fishing. And within that, you know, those leaders that they had community leaders at the time in Costa would be responsible for identifying the pros, identifying our conservation partners, identifying the events we go to and identifying the content and the media partners. So it's great within your own silo. We've kind of taken a shift over the past two or three years here now that we're still focused on community, but it's a little bit kind of switched, like 90 degrees or so. So now instead of being those community focused, like just one modality of fishing, it's now uh, category wise. So my counterpart, Evan, who I think you've talked with, I think last year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he works uh, technically with our pro 
and endemic media partners and i work with our conservation partners and we have an events team as well and so we work together across all fisheries and the cool part with me is i work with our internal conservation strategy so and i think you're a fan of our kick plastic initiative yeah um which is a huge piece that we push all throughout our company all across what we do uh one coast we have tu coast of five rivers which is awesome way to work with trout unlimited with over 100 college clubs across the country and supporting their college clubs and growing the love of fly fishing conservation which is fun and then last year we launched our compete and conserve program so how we bring conservation to the bass world oh wow so that's really fun internally and then as i talked about american saltwater guide assist and then we have our cause partnerships our conservation groups that we work with so it's kind of a that those two things we either you know have our own initiatives like kick plastic or one coast and then we have our partners that we support you know financially but also with event support product support marketing support and projects like that so it's a really cool way to be able to impact you know what our customers care about and we want to make sure that there's fish for them to fish for and then therefore you know wear our sunglasses to see them <laughs> exactly yeah that's the key and i i've been where i always live to get a shout out because he had a you know, I'm getting a little bit older, right? And I never wore glasses, but it came up with the my first pair. And it was a struggle because I was like, okay, I'm going to have glasses out on the water. And that was kind of a hassle. But, uh, you know, Hannah, I think Hannah sent me a pair of the, um, basically the other Polaroids, they got the little bifocals, right? But you can't even tell they're bifocals. Oh, yeah, the C-Mates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And those things have been game changers for me because basically- Awesome. Yeah, it's been huge. And I've let her know that, so- and it's funny because it's kind of new. So I remember my dad back in the day, you know, a long time ago, he had the same sort of glasses, but they look totally dorky and like yeah. some old school. So they've been around <laughs> forever, but Costa has done a good job to make those. So is that line, I guess that's more of a, a type of uh, frame sort of thing, but I would, I would guess that would be something that people would be helpful in like different styles, right? Yeah. So you're talking, you know, what the look is, you know, we, a lot of our sunglasses, we've over the past couple of years, starting to get a little more lifestyle. So you get to look off the water, but we were designed for fishermen on the water. So we want that wrap. We want to be attractive enough. So it's not like looking as a dorky pair of sunglasses, like you said. Yep. Uh, but we wanted to perform. We wanted to block out light. We want the sweat management. We want to make sure it's not deteriorating. It's sitting on your face the right way. So we've done a lot of cool things uh, over the past couple of years to make those frames better. And then as you talk, the most important thing is the lenses. Mm. So how you're seeing those fish. What lens color do you have currently? That's the interesting thing about it because I think there's not a ton in that style, but it's kind of like, I think it's the amber or something like that. Yeah, or copper, copper, silver, yeah. Yeah, and I like it because actually that glass in low light actually does pretty well. It's not too bad in low light. Yeah. It's not perfect, but it does pretty well. Yeah, I don't know if we make Seamates in our Sunrise Silver. I don't think so. Yeah, because that's our technical low light lets in, you know, almost double or almost triple amount of light as those copper. But the copper are, if you had if you had the choice between, you know, our copper base or a gray base, definitely copper base is going to be the lighter ones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, and we had an episode. I'll put a link in the show notes. I think it was that one with Evan where we actually went into glasses. Oh, perfect. And it was funny because I actually got got some people that reached out. They're like, "What? What is this? A glasses episode?" Which was kind of funny, but I think most people enjoyed it because it was, you know, again, glasses are such a key part of fishing. You know, just literally saving it for safety, saving your eyeballs. Right? I mean, everybody should be wearing glasses. Would you say that's pretty much true? Oh, 100 percent on the water. I mean, that was one thing. I mean, you know, growing up. The, Coasts are an investment, right? But, you know, so is a fishing rod, so is a fly rod, so is fly line. And you're wearing your sunglasses every time you go out and you're using different lines. So it's worth the investment, especially you only have one set of eyes, right? I remember going to the doctor and I was like, oh, you know, you got these little spots or these things. I was like, well, there's an excuse to buy a pair of coasts. I will make sure I have them on the face all the time. That's right. And obviously now we have multiple pairs for different applications. But as long as you have one pair, you know, that pair, even if it's not the best format, you want to make sure you have the right one to block the light. But then also, you know, our sunglasses are made so you can see the fish in the water, which is that's the whole purpose, right? The more fish you see, the more you're going to catch, hopefully, if you're a good caster. <laughs> Which is the key, exactly. And you guys do, I think Coast has always you know, done a ton with the salt, and it sounds like I didn't realize that, but you are doing quite a bit on the freshwater. How does that look? Do you have plans to keep doing as many of these conservation programs in fresh as salt, or how does that look as you move forward? That's a great question. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, the way you look at it, our conservation groups are definitely salt-leaning. We are founded in Florida. Our headquarters is still in Florida. Next year is our 40th anniversary, so that's pretty cool to look at. Wow. So we're definitely, you know, South Florida, Southeast brand that's growing, you know, Northwest and globally, which is exciting. So, though you know, those conservation groups in Florida, like Bonefish Tarpon Trust, right. uh, the Billfish Foundation, those are naturally the you know, fisher that are there. But, you know, work with IGFA, Salt and Fresh, you know, work with TRCP, they look at Salt and Fresh. Trout Unlimited is a huge partner, as I mentioned, with TU Coast of Five Rivers. And the past couple of years, we started looking more with backcountry hunters and anglers. Hmm. So that's more freshwater as well. So 
you know, when we go into these different groups and it was cool to hear you mention, you know, your projects, which is why we love to support them is because you always have that conservation angle. So we're not always sure when we go into these areas, what's the most impactful group or what's the right group or et cetera. Right. And it's not a competition of like this cause group or the other one, but what's aligning more with our anglers or who's protecting, you know, it's a combination of waterways and the fisheries and the tie the, together. That's what we want to support. So it's definitely as we're growing fresh and salt is a piece, but then also I'm a fisherman. That's what I love, but coast is a brand for anybody that loves the water. So that's definitely something as we're looking beyond our 40th anniversary, what are, you know, surfers, what are sailors, what are people, you know, we're always going to be performance sunglass, kind of the aspirational piece, but like, what do they care about? Who are their water groups? Right. So if you're trying to protect water, Costa wants to, you know, align with you to help you protect what you care about. And I think that's really important, you know, as a brand and as a customer to support those brands that are supporting what you care about. That's so cool. And, and water is obviously that's where it all starts. And we had an episode we did um, on the Wind River Reservation, which I know, I think, Andy Fly, right? Oh, of course. I love Matt. Yeah, Darren Calhoun. Oh, yeah, Darren on too. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, he went into it. it was awesome because it was, you know, we just started and we heard the whole story about the water and it's a really a crazy one. And but powerful because you hear what a local community of indigenous people are doing, right? Darren's got this passion. And then folks like Costa, mm -hmm. Patagonia, all these great companies are mm -hmm. just basically supporting people like that, right? So that's what you guys do is you start there with the, you find those local groups and you empower them. Is that kind of how you guys do it? Yeah. So the cool thing about IndieFly, which I'm sure Matt and Darren talked about, was a Costa-led initiative with Oliver White going to Guyana and then to Anna and then now with Darren in the United States, which is really cool to have an Indy Fly project in our backyard and protecting something like the Wind River Reservation, the people on the Wind Reservation. Got to go there this summer actually mm. on a media trip with oh, Matt, wow. with Hannah, with uh, our partners. And it was, I mean, I'm a saltwater guy, as I said, East Coast guy. I've never been to the mountains. Yep. And there's nothing like landing there in Jackson and driving three hours there to Lander. And I mean, it is so impactful. Today's episode is sponsored by Drift Hook, who has pre-packed fly assortments for every stage of your fly fishing journey. Each kit is organized by species and includes instructional videos and easy-to-follow guides. Their fly shop quality flies are hand-tied and inspected before being carefully packed into their durable, double-sided, water-resistant fly boxes. I've got one of those boxes right here, the Drift Hooked Streamer Surge, and it is super, uh, super clean. It's packed uh, with everything you need. The flies are well-made. It's got a, a row of some beads. It's got a row of... Uh, some rabbit strips. It's got a little bit of flash there. As I flip it over on the other side, it's packed with some smaller flies. It's got some muddlers and, uh, and it fits right there. Double-sided box, nice and clean. They have everything from nymphing to dry flies, streamers to Euro nymphs and everything in between. Uh, if you're brand new to it or know somebody who wants to get into fly fishing or needs a good present, uh, this is a great opportunity. Uh, I would love to get this thing in my stocking. I can tell you that much. You can check out Drift Hook right now by heading over to drifthook.com and using Swing at checkout to receive 15% off your next order. That's Drift Hook, D-R-I-F-T-H-O-O-K.com, drifthook.com and use Swing, S-W-I-N-G at checkout to get 15% off your next order and some of these sweet custom fly patterns. Okay, back to the show. What was it like when you drove in there? Because for those that haven't been there, when you drive into the Wind River, like there's a big mountain range, right? Oh yeah. The Tetons are there in Jackson that you drive by and then you're driving through mountains the entire way to the reservation. Um, we did a little hike on the way in, in the Tetons and hmm. you know, it's cool. You see pictures, but it's, I mean, I still love the salt. I can never leave the salt. I love it. I love fishing the salt, but I mean, I will try to get back to the West, at least to the wind reservation, you know, yearly. That's cool. It really did take your breath away. It's wild. And it just, that type of air in the middle of the summer, it's gorgeous to be out there. Right on. Yeah. There's so many, and that's the, you know, always the challenge is there's so many things that we could focus on. I did want to highlight, you know, you guys supported, we did an Alaska kind of event and the Susitna River yes. Coalition was this super local group up in Alaska who's fighting to protect, you know, the Susitna River Basin, which is a huge basin coming off of another great mountain, Denali, ah, awesome, the largest mountain in North America. Right. So you guys, you know, through this event, you know, we supported them and they were super grateful for the cross promotion, right? Because they got out to- That's so glad to hear. Yeah, larger community. And, and uh, so that was a good thing. So I think we're going to try to do more of that. But again, going back to Costa, 
I mean, there's so much here, but give us another highlight of, you talked about a few things, but what are you getting excited about? You know, if you pick one thing in 23, that's really going to be something you want to highlight for people listening, they can get involved with, what would that be? As I mentioned, 2023 is our 40th anniversary. So Hmm. what I'm most excited about putting out there in 23 is uh, our second edition of our Protect Report. So in 2021, we published our first Protect Report. We publish it every two years. It's backwards looking at the work that we've done with our partners, with our conservation groups on trips like with you. And that first one was put on by Leah and my team and Jess and my team working with Leah now. She helps with our Kick Plastic program. She's a brand sustainability. She's been with Costa since 2015. Uh, she'd be somebody awesome having the podcast too. She's starting to fish, but she has a group called Planet Purpose Solutions out of Charleston and women-owned business, four or five women now in the business that we love working with and just such an asset to Costa and helping us kind of put this together. So she's leading the charge with me hand in hand to put this protect report together. And we'll put it out in Q1 of 2023 and launch that. And the reason I say I'm most looking forward to that is we could talk for the next two or three hours about all the work I do. And the nice thing about that, you know, it's 30 page book. It's just a really nice physical piece to say, wow, this is what Costa does. This is the impact Costa has has had, you know, two years leading, but that's also like our commitment putting it out there and why it's our 40th anniversary edition of it is we're going to continue to do that. And so we're going to continue to support our fisheries, continue to support fishing, but we're going to look to continue to take that model, you know, to, as I mentioned, other water modalities globally as well. Like that's not something that's going to change within Costa. It's still super important to who we are. So I can't wait to put that out there. That's nice. So, and that is a report, a nice summary of everything you guys have done. So if somebody wanted to come in and just get a feel for, okay, like ask the question, how can we be involved? They could read that and probably connect with you or others and and find a way to get involved. Yeah, exactly. And it's just a nice way to look at it too, right? There's, you know, it's really cool to see Kick Plastic. At the time when Kick Plastic came out, that was above, you know, ahead of its Tim. Now it's like you say, Kick Plastic, everyone uses it. You know, it's like, yeah. We work with great partners like Yeti and et cetera, and have Kick Plastic Guide and Outfitter program that we work with to eliminate single-use plastic. And it's like, now that's almost obviously, you know, in the fly fishing crowd, like that's, you almost say, duh, right? Yeah. <laughs> like if you're not doing it, it's like, hey, how can I help you to do that? And it's almost, everyone's doing that, which is great. So to be in the forefront of that. And now we're working with, you know, One Coast. Uh, One Coast Initiative was founded in 2017 for hurricane disaster recovery. And that's kind of our goal now as we look forward to like kind of what's next, right? Climate resiliency, how do we control our carbon? And that One Coast Initiative is going to kind of become that piece of looking more forward looking too, right? So how do we look at climate resilient communities? How do we look at blue carbon? How do we protect not just the fisheries and waterways, but the people that live there too? And that impact, again, those water communities, whether you fish or not, right? we need to protect them, right? We need to be on that forward front. So we're not sure exactly what it looks like, but we know we need to be looking out for that next thing. How do we make an impact? So conservation you know, climate. And then another big piece, which is really cool about Costa is looking with our product teams and looking all the way through the value chain or the you know supply chain too, is we work with a product team to make sure circularity is a huge piece. So how are we designing our frames to make sure that we can recycle those or reuse those or reuse the parts so you don't have to throw out a whole pair of sunglasses. You know, we build them purposely. Again, they're expensive because we want to make sure they last. That's a huge first part. It's not disposable, but we want to make sure, if, you know, if you're fishing hard or working hard, it's going to be able to be replaced. So it's really cool to see that again, in the community facing, it's who we are, conservation, sustainability, and then also all the way through coast and the entire team. It's inspiring every day to work that, you know, people truly do care. That's amazing. And and for Costa, you get me thinking, because we've done a few of these types of episodes, but we did one with uh, Patagonia, Ted Manning. Yeah, Ted's great. Yeah. And, and he dug into that one was Roy, you know, fully into kind of Patagonia and what they have going. And you know, it seems like some of the announcements they've done. I mean, when you guys look at Costa, it sounds like you're on the same track, right? As far as trying to revolve the company around doing some great things. I mean, how do you see that? I mean, where does this come from? Does this come from like an upper like board? Has it always been ingrained into Costa, the conservation piece? Or do you know much of that history? Yeah, I mean, at least for the last 10, 20 years, can't speak to the, you know, the first 10, 20 years when the company was founded, you know, always been around the water supporting the communities in that way. But it's become something that's natural, but now even as we're growing and again, trying to build plants to grow globally in the right ways, community and conservation are right there. When we talk about going to spots, it's not like, hey, we want to open up this many shops. It's like, all right, what communities are we supporting? Right. Like, what do people care about here? And that's an honest conversation that we have before we go in anywhere. Like, why do we work with pros? You know, we work with pros to support them and what they're doing, but we support pros that are protecting the waterway too. Like, how do we support them? And then vice versa, it's a team effort. We can't do all this ourselves. You know, and that's why we work with you and your trips. Like yeah. I can't be to Alaska all the time, but I can support you on your trip and we want to be there, right? We want to find those partners that care 
And it's easy to support those partners that care. Right on. It's just part of who we are. Yeah, it is ingrained. And what was your take when you saw that? It seemed like, you know, again, it's a totally different company. And Patagonia obviously is a totally different company than, you know, Costa or anybody else. But when they announced- Oh, yeah, that announcement? Yeah, when he announced, right? It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's like we're in the- Well, he's done a couple of things, uh, Yvonne, but- Yeah, I love Yvonne. One of them was giving the profits away, right? All the profits to conservation. Oh, I mean, it's so cool to see like a company like what how Patagonia is structured and what they're able to do. And that's a cool thing is every brand and every company can do it in their own way, right? Mm-hmm. Like for Costa, it's just like Patagonia in different ways. Like it's part, like there's no choice. You do it. So you find, every, the, you wrap everything else around it. We have our own- you know, challenges where we sit as a brand and opportunities, I would say too, to inspire other brands internally. But um, we can look at Patagonia and say, you know, they have the opportunity, they're independent to be forward leading right. and lead that policy and be really loud and outspoken. Our kind of angle or, you know, our specific strategy is, you know, finding the partners that do that, right? And really supporting their work and letting them lead the charge and kind of being the the microphone to what they're doing, right? The financial support, the product support, or just like boots on the ground, you know, community and conservation. That's what we do. Like we send a check to like BTT, we send a check to IndieFly, but it's, we're showing up, we're finding their projects, we're having our team, we're having our retailers care about them. So it's like, oh, the, everyone's slowly, the more you're with the brand, like, oh, I get it. Cause I went to that event or I saw it yeah. three times. Like you continue to talk about all these cause parts. Oh, now I'll take a look at them. Right. So if you're coming to us because of that cause partner, or if you're going to those cause partners, those conservation partners, because we told you about them, it's a team effort. And that's really cool to see that in the community. And you can kind of put that spark out there and see how people pick it up. Love that. Yeah. I think you guys definitely are, you know, I mean, I know I found myself doing the same thing where I'm out there and I'm Costa, you know, come up. Right. And it'll be like, yeah, this is why it's cool to be working with companies like yourself on that line. Take us back to the Costa thing really quick. So you are in this position, but how did you come to that position with Costa? Um, so as I mentioned, grew up in Connecticut, ended up in Massachusetts. I went to school to be a teacher. Oh, wow. So I graduated, uh, played lacrosse for four years at Endicott College in Beverly, loved it. That was kind of my focus in school. So I fished, you know, in the summers, which is awesome, but it was, you know, most of the time was focused on the next lacrosse season. When I graduated, it was like, you know, there's that big space still played, you know, semi-competitively in the summers and things like that. But that same obsession for sports was really like stripers were in my backyard. Endicott had three beaches on campus I was fishing Hmm. and then I lived up here afterwards and it was I fished actually with my uh, co-teacher at the time when I graduated her husband and their son Jack and they had me fall in love with it and I was like now I can't get enough so I was actually teaching when I was fishing in the summers and I started my own fishing company at the same time oh wow so that's it yeah and it was I didn't know what it was right I had my friend Matt Zimmerman and I the name why not fishing we just started this kind of group we had Instagrams ran some events and Ran that for a good five years, six years. And uh, Costa was actually our first brand partner that we worked with. Wow. And I didn't even know what that meant, to be honest. Like, I yeah. had no idea. Again, we started this company in May. What did that mean back then? So at the time, I had no idea. So we set up this website, right? And whynotfishing.com, never built a website. It was super rudimentary, right? It had like one homepage, some gear and et cetera. And put it up like, a, you know, contact me, right? Everybody has that in the forum. And I go to the Martha's Vineyard with my in-laws every year and my family now. And we were there and I remember getting this email and it was like, hey, I'm Pete. I love what you guys are doing. I'm from Costa. I would love to work together. And I was like, which one of my friends is pulling my leg? I was like, of course we <laughs> want to work with Costa, right? We knew who they were in the Northeast, looking at the Southeast, Jose Wahebe. And the Jose's were my first pair of Costas. So oh, right. love Costa. I thought it was so cool. So I was like, somebody's got it. So I, you know, on vacation called up and was like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, I love what you're doing. You know, we had put out a lot of great content, like catch and release, striped bass, and they were looking to grow more in the Northeast and they saw and they liked what we were doing and the message we were putting out. And what it looked like at that time was two free pairs of sunglasses, one for Matt and one for me. And that was it. That's right. <laughs> that's all it was. We, you know, <laughs> Good we to go. It was like, yeah. And we're like, no, that support meant so much to us. We obviously carried that brand still to that day. I've never worn anything else but a pair of Kosas, obviously now, but, uh, it was just meant so much to see that. And that's kind of that model of like, find the way to support. And you know, some people you send a pair of sunglasses and you never hear from them again, right? Like, all right, that's great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And some people you send out a pair of sunglasses. Now they're my best, you know, yep. best agency that I'm working with. So it started with two pairs of sunglasses. We were so pumped. That was in 2014. And then year over year, we just grew it from, you know, a couple more pairs of sunglasses. We ran events, we ran tournaments, all catch and release only tournaments. And so Costa would support just with more product, right? And then we developed that where we went to Sony events and we started being able to go to events for Costa and work a table. So it became product plus a little bit of catch and support our efforts and become their partner. And that kind of grassroots year over year, you know, that trust, that relationship building is so strong. And it's kind of what I've taken, you know, to me and what I still do in my day to day and how we work with partners is that team effort. Then 
basically when I worked with Costa, there came an opportunity to be an inshore position came open and I wasn't going to move to Florida. I'm a Northeast guy. So I was like, oh, I saw it open, but never thought about it. And then worked so closely with the team for the last five years and build that trust relationship. And I like, hey, you should apply. I came on board with Pete and Andrew and Amanda and the whole team. And that was 2019. And now, you know, three and a half years in, just so glad to kind of follow that, that move. And as I mentioned, we changed from community leaders. So I was inshore community leader to now being conservation community partnerships manager it's just been a fun ride over the past three years mm-hmm. or i guess actually more than three years it's been nine years right since 2014 you've been working with yeah since you started your website yeah exactly so eight and a half nine years coming up nine years that's great and, and then like you said at the start stripers is still a big species that you're focusing on and We'll talk about this. We said this, I think, off air, which is another interesting thing you have going here, is this marlin. Ah. <laughs> talk about what you have going with the marlin, because we've we've done a little bit of the big fish stuff, but it's such a crazy, amazing story when you hear it. So talk about what you have going with marlin. I, I'll definitely talk about that. I was just quick to talk about stripers, right? Then oh, yeah. connection, then get to marlin. But the so stripers, yeah, as you said, like it's cool to see that's the fish I love, right? And that's a fish a lot of people love, not just about me, but that's working with our conservation partners like American Saltwater Guide Association and COSA to support that to enact change and protect the fishery I love. And that's kind of what COSA has done right in the South and take that North and take it West. It's been really cool to see that grow. And so it's been awesome to support a fishery in a community like this and again, help grow. Oh, awesome. These COSA standing to support this fishery. And that's why I want to support the brand, not just being the cool or the best on the water. And I still love stripers. That's always in my back. But also with this opportunity at Coast, I can travel. Last year, we had the opportunity to go down um, kind of on a scouting mission. Personally for Coast, we were looking to do, see what we could do there, how we could best impact the community. What event can we do in Mag Bay? I've never flown out of the country to fish. That was the first time. We're thinking maybe we could do a cool marlin fly tournament there and maybe get some conservation gives back and trying to see what we could do there and realize, you know, in the past year as we came back, like, Maybe that's not the most impact we have in the community. And we've realized, you know, there's this striped marlin here that are unbelievable. These big boats are going out and catching tens, 50, sometimes 100 a day on these, trolling these boats. Jeez. But the group that we support is Los Locos. Uh, they're right out of San Carlos in Mag Bay. They use local guides. They go out on pangas to catch striped marlin on the fly rod. Yeah. It's really, really cool. And it's just like I said, talking about Wyoming, it's like, ah, it looks cool. I want to see it. Like I was trying to not hype it up for myself. Like you see all the pictures and videos they put on Instagram. I mean, and they put out a video a couple of years ago that we supported on Baja Lines. I mean, it is an incredible fisher, but you get there and it's just like, uh, have you ever Albie fished at all? No, I haven't. Definitely something when you come out to the Northeast, we'll do if you come out in the fall. Yeah. We don't get them up here in Boston. They're you know more in the Cape and Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York, but they're such a zippy fish. They're up and down. They're chasing bait balls. You're running after oh, them. Yeah. It's like the same type of fishing, but they're billfish and they're huge and they eat better. <laughs> wow. So it's just the wildest thing. You're driving on this panga. You're going for sometimes 20 miles a day, sometimes 30 miles a day, depending on where they are. And you're just looking for these frigate bird tornadoes to go to them. And you're running through and hmm. you're seeing these striped marlins so lit up flashing through. And it's just such an exciting fishery that we're going back again, as you mentioned this year to actually tag them. So we're going to go partner with the IGFA, International Game Fish Association, Billfish Foundation to go and put some satellite tags and some spaghetti tags in these fish and see where this group of fish is going. It's hmm. such a hot spot for these striped marlin. These big boats are coming south from California and north from Cabo. You know, these Los Locos, even these local guys to go fish them. The local community in San Carlos has always gone out and dive boats for whales and killer whales and seals and marlin, but no one's targeting the fly rod. And George and Rudy have gone out and we're trying to go in and help, obviously, Ru- uh, George and Rudy, but they're done such a great job in the community of San Carlos of, you know, learning who these guides are, using them for their trips, figuring out the guide boats, the commercial boats, and the whole community. And so we're hoping to find some, you know, we don't know. We're going to put these tags and see where these fish go. How do we protect them? Can we find a stock assessment? Can we see where they swim? How to protect them to make sure we have that? Because that's such an important fishery to the community, to the area, and we want to make sure we kind of figure out what that is so working with peter right from the billfish foundation jack and bruce at igfa and we're gonna hopefully find these tags they're gonna go in in december we're going in a couple weeks and then we're gonna be talking about that alongside the protect report that community times conservation this is kind of the first time we're hinting at it so the people that will be listening will be the first to kind of hear at it oh cool yeah so this is a new there's a new thing you have going on describe the mag bay where that is exactly mag bay is five hours north of cabo Right out, you drive either the west coast of um, Baja or kind of the east coast and go through Loreto and then get to St. Carlos, small little town, middle of nowhere, but unbelievable people, unbelievable fishery. Uh, it's just such a real special place. So we're going to actually be going with 
Costa team members, which is cool. So we last year we bring Costa pros. So we always want to include those pros who care about conservation, can help be a part of this project. Scientists like the Billfish Foundation and IGFA. And then we're also bringing partners from IndieFly mm. to help us find uh, community impact projects. So we talked about what they're doing in Wind River. All right. Um, and that's going to be coming down with us to do a feasibility assessment in town and saying, what project can we help with? And to learn a little bit more about what they're doing to see to help impact the community. So we're taking a look at possibly the boat ramp in town that everybody uses or schools or something around the fishery uh, to help the community. We're not sure what that is, but that's part of us going down. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Meal Bars, made by a small team of passionate outdoor enthusiasts. The Range team only uses the highest quality gluten-free ingredients, and they know they want to fuel your body with the right stuff. We did a recent episode where we talked about backpacking and packing your pack and getting ready for a might be a hike into a high mountain lake, and we talked about the power of food and getting the right food in your pack and how important that is to shaving off a weight and this bar packs a punch with 700 calories. This is a super dense bar, tastes good, and uh, and it's exactly what uh, we were talking about in that episode. So uh, you can pretty much throw one bar in there if you had to. To be honest, this thing would probably make you through a couple of meals. I eat these things whenever I need to, and usually one chunk of this, one bite, will keep me going for quite a while. So it's quite a bit different now that I've been snacking on these for a while, definitely than pretty much all the other meal bars because of the caloric intake. And this is important when you're out there for safety or on the water or just staying uh, from, from that, keeping that uh, stomach from ground. Like I said, range bar is small enough to fit in your hand and slides easily to, into your pocket of your vest or sling pack, anything you need. They currently have two flavors. Uh, one is chocolate coffee and the other is molasses ginger sea salt. You can check out range right now at wetflyswing.com range. R-A-N-G-E, Range Meal Bars. You won't go back to the normal bar. Okay, back to the show. And this is Magdalena Bay? Yes, exactly. Mag Bay for short. Yeah, so it's that, yeah, it's off of the Baja. It's kind of almost on your way down south. And describe that again for those that don't know. This is the, you know, I think maybe there's some confusion, but is that, that's part of, obviously, that's part of Mexico Describe the Baja, that whole Baja thing, because that is a kind of an interesting, unique area, right? Like it's on the Gulf of California. Can you drive down there? Like describe that whole thing down there for somebody that doesn't know Baja. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a great question. And to be honest, I didn't know that much going in there too. So it was such an eye-opening experience. And I guess the picture, if I had to explain it, is we we're driving up there the first time we got there in a car and, you know, get slow down, you got to pass and we're waiting. We had a car in front of us. We're like, oh, we'll have to wait our turn. This car passes. Lou's out and around and we're behind this first car and with the slow car and there's a horse in the back of a pickup truck just going down the highway. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, th- so you're like basically going into Cabo driving five hours north to get there. Yes. Yeah. And it is, you know, mountains, rolling mountains in a different way than Wyoming, but you, know, you see the ocean on your left and it's just middle of nowhere, farm stands, taco stands on the side of the road. Um, and when people think of Baja, they think of roosterfish, which is more East Cape, you know, on the fly, you're waiting for that shot. You're trying to look and sight cast them, maybe one shot over three days. So, you know, rooster fish on the fly. When you're thinking the fly fishing world, definitely people think Baja. People think Baja surfing or, you know, dirt bikes or et cetera. Or Cabo is a big sport fishers, right? There's huge tournaments out of there. You know, big boat scene. But for the fly rod, this kind of marlin fishery is super new. I mean, people have probably done it way before we knew about it. But the way they do this mm. at the lodge and give people access to it, it's still very rustic. Right. There's so many lodges around the world that you can go to, you know, Bonefish and Marlin, Casa Vieja, like just the unbelievable experience, right? From the day, the second you step on property, fishing is world-class, accommodations world-class, food world-class, not that Los Locos isn't, but what I love about it is that you're rustic, right? You're with the guides, you're with the community. It's a different type of fisherman and experience that you get anywhere else. Right, right. And that's where the, that's where you mentioned a few times the Indie Fly, they've, that program itself is all about coming into these local communities and empowering these local communities actually have their own businesses where it's not necessarily us just giving them money. We're helping them create, you're helping them create a business and to be self-sustaining. Is that kind of what you're doing? In a way. So the way that, you know, IndieFly's projects are multi, multi-year, as you said, in developing. So Guyana and then Anna and then now in the Wind River, that's, you know, learning and a lot of listening and how do you support. And George and Rudy have kind of done it naturally. So the way they're kind of just integrating and just who they are and what they're all about and how they do business is supporting the community. So uh, IndieFly also does these community impact projects that aren't the same level of those three projects as far as year over year, same support and um, development investment. But this is just the opportunity to do an impact project in a community that is still around sport fishing, right? And it's still around that water community. Yeah. 
and it's all about that local support, whether it sounds like you guys have different ways to do it, but it's all still going back to that local support of local communities. Yeah. Nice. Well, um, again, on most of these things, we don't have enough time to dig into it, but if we had to maybe touch on another topic or anything we haven't really discussed here today, what would you throw out there? If you look ahead, you know, maybe next year and next couple years for Costa, what do you want to leave everybody away with here? I don't think I'd add anything here at the end. Uh, I would think just, uh, as I've said a couple times throughout this podcast, the the great thing, Costa's always naturally done and what I'm trying to put out and continue to put is that community times conservation, like that's what makes the biggest impact. It's, you know, donations are huge, but the involvement, the learning, you got to experience that to learn how to protect it. So that's the biggest thing that, again, we're trying to put out. We'll talk about in the Protect Report. It's why we're doing this Marlin Fly mission with the people who are doing it. We're not just sending the scientists down themselves and say, get the science, we'll talk later. We're bringing our pros down there. We're bringing our partners. We're bringing in, you know, using all the local people because we want to ingrain in that culture. So you're connected because once you're connected to something, then you want to protect it and talk about it. So that's, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of planning. It's a lot harder than just sending a check, but it's the most impactful and the longest lasting. Right. Well, and remind me again, when that protect report, when does that come out? Yeah. So protect report uh, will come out the, probably by February, March of next year in 23. So Q1, definitely. Perfect. And if somebody, again, we could talk to our future selves here. If somebody's listening later or whatever, it'll be, where do they go to grab that? Yeah, go to costadelmar.com. We'll have that protect report listed on there. And right now, too, if you're listening to this cool thing we launched in this past year, I guess there is something new I want to say, <laughs> is uh, our sustainability hub on the website. So working with our partners, our website, Econ Partners, they did a great job redesigning our sustainability hub, they called it. So when you look into it, it's really cool format of like going beneath the water and starting with kick plastic and one coast and compete and conserve. Then you go a little bit deeper and you see our cause uh, conservation partnerships and how we support them. And then you see our untangled collection, how we work with that. So you, the deeper you go, you see like, wow, they do this while wow, they do that. So right. when you think Costa, we want you to think conservation sustainability, but it's like, Oh, what does that mean? It's like, Oh, untangled. You know, we make those sunglasses out of recycled fishing nets, which is amazing, but it's like, Oh, cool. The product suite. What about their activities? So really proud of putting out that sustainability hub. It's kind of like a shorter kind of more condensed version of the protect report. But uh, once you have that full, the 2019-2020 uh, Protect Report's on there now. And then instantly, when this is ready to go and publish, it'll be on the website. So you'll be able to see both. Yeah, gotcha. And the plastic and the nets and all that stuff is pretty huge. How does that look? You know, this is, again, general stuff. You hear this stuff about the plastics, right, in the ocean and some mm -hmm. massive blob of garbage. And you hear all sorts of crazy, probably some of it's true, some of it's not. But how does that look? If you give us a, you know, a plastics update, it seems like such a daunting challenge, especially when you have other countries that I'm sure just dumping stuff into the ocean. Well, what's your take on where we are at now and kind of in moving ahead with the plastic stuff in the oceans? So I'm, you know, personally not the expert. Coast is not the expert on that, but we work with experts like Five Gyres. That's one of our conservation groups. Yeah. Who is that again? Where could we go if we want to dig in and find that answer like better? Like what was that? Fivegyres.org. Uh, okay. And then, so, you know, Leah's group as well at Planet Purpose Solutions, they do, you know, she is the expert, her whole team, which helps inform us. And my take on it personally is, you know, how can we impact or inspire the most change? So kick plastic sounds a little bit negative when you think about it, but it's more of a positive, like, hey, you can make an impact. So it wants you to make, kind of look into more. So it's like, yes, you're not going to personally save the world by eliminating plastic. It's hard to, but when you make you think about it, it's just one more thing to be like, hey, buddy, how about we try a different way? Or like, this is how I did it. So it's more of a positive, like bring you along versus yell at you. And so I would say, you know, our take and the push is to like, just kind of make you aware of it and constantly make you aware of it. And we're taking the effort as a company to kick plastic at our events. So when you sponsor like the BTT symposium and the Herman Lucerne backcountry championship, we're eliminating all plastic and it takes a ton of effort. It costs more, right? To make sure we're doing that. And just because we're doing it for one event doesn't mean that's going to be it forever, but showing people like, Hey, it can be done. Like, Oh, now trying to make it easier. And it's hard the first time, but the more you do it, you know, the greater your impact is as you do it again and again and again. Right. Right. That's awesome. Never underestimate what a small committed group of citizens can do. Right. I think one of those famous quotes, I'm kind of botching that one, but you know, I think it was Margaret Mead. Right. So we'll put that quote in the show notes, but essentially where it all starts at the local, like we're saying a small group of people, even if it's small, like the plastic, like you're somebody sitting here being, well, this plastic bottle, what can I do? There's already all this trash going in the ocean. Like, is this going to make an impact? But really it is because it's one person starting one person and that person adds. And then, I mean, at least that's the way I see it. Is that a truthful way to look at it? Yeah. I think it sounds cheesy, but it's true. Again, when you can 
unite again about something you care about and when multiple people care about the same thing and you're enjoying it and you're connected to it then it makes it that more impactful because when you talk about it, it's like yeah of course you could be together but it's like wow i do care about this fishery i do care about this waterway or i do want my kids to enjoy this and that's part of what you know what right. we're doing encouraging with our conservation partners and in coast is like this is totally cheesy but we want you to see what's out there we want you to get out there and experience it because we can experience it and you're like wow this is pretty cool how can i make sure i have more experiences like this Exactly. Nice. Well, as we start to take it out of here, give us and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but, uh, you know, think about like, you know, again, you've talked about a few of these initiatives, all this stuff going, what is like, if somebody could look at a success story and we might be able to look at, you know, the, the project report and look at that, but what would be one you'd say like, okay, here's something we did. We worked with this group, whoever, and we saw this success because some of that's challenging, right? Because it might take many years or decades to see the effects of what you're doing. But do you have something you can leave us with as we head out here? Uh, yes, definitely. And, uh, listeners may think you just gave me this layup, but you did not. Uh, we have the perfect project. No, for no, you're no, on you the did, spot. You did. But that's, you know, that's <laughs> will be also a highlight story in the protect report is our work with uh, bonefish tarpon trust and uh, project permit. I cannot take any credit for that when it started, uh, but Costa can and worked with BTT and, you know, our friends at BTT will say it's one of their most successful projects. And this year we put out a film pathway to permit, uh, this spring. Oh, wow. Premiered at IFTD. Um, but just the success of working with anglers in the Keys, around Miami, and figuring out where the, you know, mostly the Keys, but all over, where these permit spawn, where they go, where they're, they're on the flats, but how do we protect them? And they're able to find, you know, working with FWC as well over many years to see where these fish spawn, Western Dry Rocks off of Key West. And those permit were getting sharked when they're angling. So they're able to shut that down during spawning season and find impact from tagging. I analyzed the results, working with the community, work with FWC wasn't easy. It's not definitely favorable for everybody. Not that everything in conservation, everyone's going to be a winner about, but it would just shows the impact again, year over year. Like that's a decade of work, Wow! right? And that's part of kind of the inspiration, to be honest, of going down and doing this Coast of Marlin fly tagging project with uh, the Billfish Foundation, IGFA in Mag Bay is to say, we're not sure. Obviously we think it's important. Uh, we wouldn't go if it wasn't. But we're not sure what's going to come out of it. And we hope that there's the same impact in that community, in the fishery, and in uh, for a long year to come, just like Project Permit was. There you go. It definitely did set that up. But I'm <laughs> glad you said it because the Bonefish Tarpon Trust saw them at, uh, I think, one of the events. And I haven't had them on yet, but I know I talked to them and I want to get them on. And that's really Oh, yeah. Definitely reach out to them and feel yeah. free. I can, I'm sure you can reach out and get the connection, but we'd love to make that connection as well because they can, hopefully, listeners want to hear more about that and they can, you know, dive into that way more than I can. Perfect. I think what we're going to do now is just take us out on a, another note. I always love to take a random one. We talked about the kind of off air at the start, the, uh, the football. So I'm trying to think, uh, sports wise, you said, I think, believe you said you were a Patriots fan, but you also have family in the Buffalo area. Is that true? I am not a Patriots fan. I am a Buffalo Bills fan. True and true and true and true. But I have, Oh, good. All my family's from there. I am in Patriots territory and have been for the last 20 years. Oh, that's what it is. So you're, so that's even better. It's all good. They've been unbelievable. Tom Brady in the rain, but I'm a huge Bills fan. <laughs> so it's glad to be on maybe the other end of the coin here as we get better. <laughs> no, that was going to be my question because that was, I think this is good because Tom Brady is right. He's the guy up there. Oh, I don't even know. I haven't kept up with it, but I mean, he's was a great quarterback or is a great quarterback, obviously. No doubt. But yeah, so the Buffalo, so where are we at now? So this time of year, give us the football. Where the heck is football at? Is it even, uh, it's, uh, we're going into say December. It is December now. Yeah. So actually I was at the Buffalo Bills game in Gillette last night uh, and the Bills won. So Bills are top of the AFC East, which is great uh, and cool connection football wise to Tom Brady's great. But now Josh Allen, our Bills quarterback is awesome. And he's actually from Wyoming which is cool because that's where the Wind River Reservation is. So it's definitely oh, wow. put it out there. This is one of my personal goals to get Josh, hopefully with the Super Bowl championship trophy on the Wind River Reservation in his home state, which would be really, really cool. He's such a great guy, such a hard worker uh, and just cool because yeah, go Bills. Right, right. So, and what are the Bills? How many games they have left? What's the record? Yeah, so we are nine and three right now, I believe. Oh, so it's almost getting wrapping up the season here soon. Yeah. So yeah, we're mid mid December now. They got a couple more. We got the Jets and we got Miami Dolphins here to finish up a championship run. So Buffalo, didn't they win one? Buffalo went to four in a row in the early nineties when I was a young, young little lad, and they won zero of them. <laughs> so there you go. The pain, I can take it back to me, although I haven't been, you know, in touch with it as yeah. much lately. But the Portland Trail Blazers, yeah. actually, they do have one win. You know, before you got one more than me. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's always been that way in my lifetime because I wasn't really around yeah. enough to see that. But, you know, it's always been that thing like, you know, they had that time in the early, you know, 90s where they got beat by the great Chicago Bulls, right? And so it was, who was Buffalo? Who did Buffalo beat them when they had four in a row? Yeah, so four in a row. We, we it was a, NFC East had our number. We lost to the Giants. We lost the Cowboys twice and we lost the Redskins. <laughs> oh, right. And the Redskins. And uh, the worst one was uh, wide right with Scott Norwood when we could have had a field goal to win it at the end. And uh, it went wide right. Poor guy. Oh, wide right. Dang. That's, yeah, that is rough. And it's, yeah, I was born a Bills fan, even though being in, you know, growing up in Connecticut, being a New England guy, my grandpa and my grandparents had season tickets since day one. And my dad was actually at the first game in my grandma's belly. He was born October 31st that year. So it's in literally in our blood to be Bills fans. You don't have a choice. Yep. That's it. So this is good. Well, I'll be excited if they win it this year. We'll definitely have to uh, connect. <laughs> I can't wait because I'm going to put this podcast everywhere. If they win, I'm going to say, hey, we just said it right here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Good stuff. All right, Joe, we'll send everybody out to uh, obviously CostaDelMar.com and check out all your initiatives you have going. And uh, we'll let people connect with you if they have more questions. And uh, yeah, man, I'm excited to dig in in 23 and maybe get some more events in with you guys and just keep promoting what you have going. So thanks for taking all the time today. You got it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, now we got to get you out here for some stripers. All right. Sounds good, man. Talk to you later. Have a great day. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. So there you go. Wetflyswing.com slash 395. 395 or 395 will get you show notes, links, videos, some good stuff we have going. We'll have links out to everything we talked about today. Uh, from Joe and Costa, all the good stuff. Quick listener shout out, Steve Waller. Uh, I want to say big high five to you. Uh, it's been a while since we've connected. Uh, I think way back at the one of the first events we had, uh, Fish for Steelhead. Steve's been a member of the uh, Wetfly Swing Society and been supporting this podcast for quite some time. Steve, want to thank you uh, again for all that support. Appreciate you and definitely check in with me. It's been a while. Uh, send me an email or message out there. I'd love to connect with you and hear what's new, uh, what's been happening over the last uh, few years here. If you want to connect with me and get a shout out on the podcast, you can uh, send me a DM, wetflyswing anytime, or an email, dave at wetflyswing.com. And I'll do my best to get you in here. And we'll also get an episode of this podcast uh, put together for you. All right, we are rolling along. We've got the uh, the Euro School, which is uh, which is on the horizon. This is the next big event we're doing. If you're interested in getting out and up in your nymphing game, and really want to take Euro nymphing to the next level, I know it's something that uh, definitely takes a little bit of work. Uh, and having a guide, having a great venue, great river is what we got going. Pretty much, we've got all those the best guides the best location and uh and then we're putting that all together with all the best people and some listeners from this podcast and uh, a chance to get out there and do it shout out to the steelhead school that was one of the best events that i've been ever been on and i'm excited uh, to do more of these more of these school events because they are just pretty much knocking it out of the park and check in anytime if you have any ideas for new schools any events that we can do would love to hear from you All right, it is late in the night, so I am going to get out of here right now, and I'm going to wish you a good evening, a good morning, or a good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, and I look forward to catching up with you online or maybe on the water. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.